<laughs> Good afternoon. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you once again for this opportunity to stand before your sacred desk. We pray now, God, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart, that it will be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my help and my redeemer. Amen. To Pastor Joe, I say Pastor Joe because um, I'm a little bit more formal than he is, uh, but he is, um, so I'm trying to follow his lead. So to Pastor Joe and to the ministers, officers, and members of the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, to the ministers, officers, and members of Philip R. Cousin, I am pleased that we are coming together again to join in our common faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have forged a bond in friendship during the past three years that is both fulfilling and enlightening. So today in this Lenten service, I want to share a message that is that this season is not about us, but it is about our relationship with Jesus Christ. In this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns in verse six, in, chap in chapter six, verse one, he said, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Ash Wednesday, my brothers and sisters, marks the beginning of a 40-day time span that ends on the eve of our Lord's resurrection from the dead. The ash of Ash Wednesday implies something destroyed, demolished, gone, destroyed are the palms of the previous year's Palm Sunday. It is well that you and I contemplate meditate upon and spend time and effort on the astounding sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross and what it means in our relationship with him. Every year we should fast and pray in special ways to honor our Lord's life, his suffering, dying, his death, and his time in the grave, all for us. Then we shall be able to experience with joy, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You know, my brothers and sisters, but it appears that our society is in opposition to the message that Jesus gives here in this text of secrecy and humble faith. We are in an era of bombast, celebrity worship, and personal fame. We track lights on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and LinkedIn. We are concerned about many views on YouTube, we want to know whether or not a post that we load up on the internet, whether or not it's going to go viral. But in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us that our piety should be made in secret. This is in opposition to the aspect of our society today, doesn't it? We are concerned more about self-expression. We are concerned about making a statement. We want our 15 minutes of fame, not an eternity with God. This passage today speaks about sacrifice, almsgiving, praying, and fasting. Our Lord gave up the glories of heaven to save us in that great act of love on the cross. For no man has greater love than this, than he give up his life for our friends. So in our 40 days of Lent this year, I would like us to look at our piety, how we demonstrate our faithfulness, 
Are our actions inspired by our devotion to Jesus? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not concerned about how you appear to be a Christian or what fame you seek. Jesus wants disciples. However, many persons are Christian in name only. We don't like the word hypocrite, but Jesus uses it to describe the actors in this message. Hypocrites is a Greek term that is used for stage actors. It did not necessarily carry the connotation of an underhanded person who intends to deceive. Yet in Jesus' day, the word was sometimes associated with false godliness. Ancient actors, they wore masks, literally hiding their true selves behind a false identity. This image, when used to criticize those who display piety in particular ways, suggests a degree of pretense behind their actions. Jesus' criticism goes beyond that saying, hey, you aren't doing that correctly. It is more severe. What are you doing? And demonstrates that you are really not the person you want us and God to believe that you are. Tonight, as we reflect on this service and on the journey from Lent to the cross, let us consider our motives. Let us consider what it means to have the mark of the cross on our foreheads. Are we here because of the suffering servant? Or are we here because we're told this is what we do on Lent? Are we here because of a member or because of our pastor? Is it important for us to be seen tonight? Or is tonight important because regardless of our background, regardless of our race, or our place of worship, we share one thing in common. We are all dust, and to dust we shall return. In, this message, in his message, Jesus highlights three important aspects of Jewish spiritual lives. Each section addresses a practice of individual piety that was widely commended in the Judaism of Jesus' time and also part of the earliest Christians' devotional repertoire, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. These acts of piety can be done to glorify God, but they can also be used to glorify self. First, Concerning almsgiving, Jesus said, so whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Almsgiving or offerings to support the poor and needy should be done in secret. Jesus says, do not sound a trumpet as a means of bringing attention to ourselves. Accordingly, we don't need to see you announce the amount that you place in the offering basket. We don't need the amount announced from the pulpit or posted in the vestibule as tithes and offerings were noticed in the past in some churches. Almsgiving is any material favor done to assist the needy, and it is prompted by charity. Almsgiving is not the same thing as an offering given in worship, even if a portion of the offering is used to assist the needy. Almsgiving entails a personal and direct act of doing good for those in need. It is something done over and above one's regular offering to the church. It cannot be delegated to others because an essential aspect of almsgiving is the heart of the almsgiver. Almsgiving is not almsgiving given unless it is done with a personal, heartfelt caring for the needy. 
You see, my brothers and sisters, almsgiving is founded on the conviction that all things come from God and all wealth and all wealth comes from him. So as we listen to Jesus' statement of not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing, as we all know, it's something impossible. But this colloquialism gives the message that our giving should be done in secret. We are seeking to help others, not to uplift ourselves. The reward is that our Heavenly Father, who sees in secret, will reward in secret. Remember, Jesus said in the last days there will be those who will call on the Lord, and he will say, I don't know you. But if we take care of the poor and the needy and the least of these, we are also doing so for Christ. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Examine your giving during this season of Lent. As we do, I would hope that, as we, that we would arrive at the conclusion that we give far too little. We have probably indeed said to ourselves, eat, drink, be merry. You deserve the good times for all of your hard work. And if we arrive at some area in the region called guilt, then remember why we observe Lent. We need to see the evil, greed, selfishness of our poor management of all resources that God has given us to use in this short time of our living. Here is a short comment on how, we can, how when we do little, it touches others. A man had moved into a small town, and he bought a little house across the street from the railroad tracks. Every morning, he noticed an elderly lady was walking along the tracks, picking up something and putting it in a bag that she carried. The man got curious about the lady, and he went to the corner mom-and-pop grocery store that had been there forever, and he asked the owner about this lady. Oh, they said, that's just Widow Jacobs. Every day she comes halfway across town to pick up the coal that is spilled on the tracks when the early morning train runs through town. But there, isn't, there hasn't been a steam locomotive using coals on these tracks for years, replied the new resident. That's right, said the store owner. When the steam train stopped running, old Mr. Simpson, who runs the hardware store, was concerned that Widow Jacobs would no longer have coal to heat and to cook with. He knew that she was too proud to take charity, so he decided to get up early every morning, take a bag of coal and drop it along the tracks. The widow Jacob still thinks that the steam train runs by every morning. I think old Mr. Simpson had been doing that for about five years now, said the, uh, the store owner, but he was doing it out of a heart of charity, out of a heart of love. So we should examine, examine our giving during Lent and let our giving truly honor the Savior. Secondly, concerning prayer, Jesus said, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, Jesus instructs us to pray in secret. In the Jewish society, prayers were an important part of that society. The two things that they were daily prescribed to do, the first was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God 
is one. There was hardly an event or a sight in life which had not its stated formula of prayer. There was prayer before and after each meal. There were prayers in connection with the light, the fire, the lightning, on seeing the new moon, comets, rain, tempest. So Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, referring primarily to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He said they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by men. You see, it was nothing more than a show to win the admiration of men. They were using God to promote themselves. And Jesus says that attitude wins zero, a big goose egg from God. They have the reward of men, that is their applause, but that's about where it begins and ends. No, my brothers and sisters, Jesus says we are to pray sincerely. That is to go into a room and pray in secret that our Father who sees that kind of sincerity in, keeping him, in seeking after him alone, not the applause of men, will reward us. You see, Jesus is not condemning public prayer, but he is condemning prayer in public for the purpose of putting on a show in, a, in an attempt to win the respect of others. We must pray sincerely to God if we desire his ear and his response. Often in our tradition, in my tradition, uh, public prayer can be a difficult act for those who are asked to prayer. Many feel uncomfortable praying in public or before a group. I guess it's akin to those who fear speaking in public. However, there are some like the Pharisees in the text who use the moment to exalt themselves and they don't let the prayer moment occur and don't let the prayer moment occur in one of our special worship services just as an annual conference or a district conference meetings. The prayers sometimes are longer than the sermon and in some respects are beyond the particular moment, whether the opening prayer or whether the prayer for the invocation of the Holy Spirit or praying for the body of Christ. If Jesus needed to pray and he prayed often, alone in worship and with the disciples, prayer should be a highly important, essential, central part of our life. Prayer should be sincere. Prayer should be confident. We don't need to babble. God knows what we want. God knows what we need. He just needs us to speak to him, and he will, pray, and he will hear. There was a Mothers Against Drunk Driving outdoor Christmas service, and this gentleman was supposed to be the opening, uh, to, to do the, the opening prayer in that service. But when he was setting up the platform, waiting for his turn, he noticed that the guest speaker was somebody famous, a great speaker. He began to be intimidated or, by being on the same platform with this great speaker. He started looking out over the people in the crowd. And you know, sometimes as we're speaking, we try to find a special, uh, a friendly face, someone who is, would give us the courage to continue speaking. And, and he noticed the tears in this mother's eye as she was standing out there alone. She was someone in this congregation that had lost a son that year in a car accident with a drunk driver. And the speaker said he just wanted to go down off the platform and stand with her to comfort her. He was hurting for her, and he didn't even notice when he was called up to do his prayer. They got his attention, and he went forward. He forgot all about the rehearsed prayer that he had planned. He just prayed from his heart. He said, God, 
sometimes it seems like it is always winter and never Christmas. And he didn't even remember the rest of his written prayer. The next day, he went back to church, and as he sat down at his desk, and the secretary brought in the town paper, and the front page headline showed a picture of the outdoor Christmas service with the headline across the top of the page saying, always winter, never Christmas. Not a word was mentioned about that eloquent, famous speaker. God can hear a simple prayer from the heart. And sometimes it is even more memorable. So this Lenten season, let us examine our prayer lives. During this Lenten season, let us give serious thought to what, God's, to what God in Christ has to do with our everyday privilege of living on this earth. Finally, fasting. Why fast? Jesus said, whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus said in verse 17 and 18, he said, put oil on your head and wash your face so that others will not know you are fasting. You see, in Old Testament days, too much value was placed on the external right of fasting as opposed to the proper condition of the heart. In the days of our Lord, there was the same kind of era. The two Jewish days of weekly fasting were on Monday and Thursday. And it was probably no coincidence that those were the market days when people from the countryside came into the city to buy and sell. And it was a, a great opportunity to have a public display of piety. Today, my brothers and sisters, it seems like some people go on fast as a diet. What are you going to give up? Are you going to give up chocolate, which is one of my favorites? Are you going to give up desserts like ice cream or cake? You know, they've even added some uh, other items. Some people say, well, I'm going to give up sports. I'm not going to watch uh, television. I'm not going to watch golf or tennis. I'm not going to watch the reality shows or maybe I'm going to give up my cell phone. Or I'm going to stop texting and, and I'm not going to look on Facebook or any of the other social networks. You see, fasting in a more traditional sense is not about starving, but rather simply not eating whatever foods you decide not to eat during these 40 days. You see, this kind of fasting is very simply to remind us of what our Lord gave up, his life as a ransom for all mankind. The reward is not a smaller waist or a pat on the back. It's about increasing our faith. It's connecting with Christ. It's realizing that going without won't harm you and that seeking the, the kingdom of God is a worthy calling. So let us be careful of our motives. What do you do with the time, my brothers and sisters, when you are fasting? Do you spend time in prayer? Or do you just go through the ritual about your everyday busy schedule? Take a long, hard look at your piety during these 40 days. And use a good oil. And use a good cleansing soap when you realize 
that it's more about the action than it is about the heart. And then I just want to add another final. I had to warn you, it's, 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 it's difficult to put a lawyer and a pastor up to preach. <laughs> Concerning treasures, Jesus closes with this portion. In verse 19, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. He said, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, I began this message by saying that our relationship, Pastor Joe and Philip, our cousin, and Church of Our Savior, during the past three years has been a blessing. It is a treasure that no one can take from us. Our understanding that we are not so different cannot be taken from us. That we have one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of us all cannot be taken from us. I treasure the friendship, the time that I came and shared with your church school, the time that I came and um, you came and shared with us last Ash Wednesday. I treasure our sharing. I treasure as a pastor over the years, the time I go and visit the sick and shut in. I treasure the communion that we shall be joining in shortly. As Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this as often. This is my blood that was shed for you. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. These things will not rust. No moth can consume, nor can thieves steal. They can't steal our faith. They can't steal our joy. They can't steal our love. They can't steal our grace or our mercy, nor can they steal our hope. These are the treasures that the world didn't give us and the world cannot take away. May God bless you and may God keep you is my prayer.